Greetings, friends. Today is April 15th, and I am happy to welcome you to the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, where we not only read the daily portions from the Old and New Testaments as arranged in the One Year Bible, but we provide some explanatory notes for each reading to point out highlights you might have missed and fill in some historical, cultural, and grammatical context that will help you make sense of each passage and see its relevant applications for your own living. I also hope that having the partnership of this daily podcast would encourage you to stay at it. I have been told that hearing the scriptures read has brought a needed boost to people's personal pursuit of reading through the entire Bible and not receiving God's word in piecemeal. The Apostle Paul encouraged his protege, Timothy, to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. By describing to the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, you can get prompts or reminders every day to develop this habit of daily Bible reading and time with the Lord and meditation. Well, my name is David McAdam, and I serve as pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts. It is my joy to take you further into the book of Joshua and the Gospel of Luke today. Joshua is called to lead the people of Israel in the accomplishment of God's work of giving the promised land. The land of Canaan was not given to them automatically. They had to learn daily submission to the Word of God. They needed to learn how to walk by faith. They needed to learn how to overcome the work of the enemy. In the New Testament, we are also given an inheritance, a land of promises in Christ Jesus. But there are enemies that resist our full possession of them, and there are also promises that remain to be fulfilled later in time, and we must learn to wait upon the Lord with patience. In Obadiah chapter 1 verse 17, we learn that the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. So be encouraged today to possess in your experience what God has deeded to you in His Word. Yesterday we read about God giving Joshua the victory over the southern region of Canaan. Today we go to the north beginning with chapter 11, where there is more of the promised land to possess. The Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 11, Conquests in Northern Canaan. When Jabin, king of Hezhor, heard of this, he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Arabah, south of Kinneroth, and in the lowland, and in Naphtothdor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde, in number like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Merom, to fight against Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them, slain, to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Merom and fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel, who struck them and chased them as far as great Sidon and Misrephothmaim, and eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah. And they struck them until he left nothing remaining. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord said to him, He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck its king with the sword, 
for Hazar formerly was the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck with the sword all who were in it, devoting them to destruction. There was none left that breathed. And he burned Hazar with fire. And all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua captured, and struck them with the edge of the sword, devoting them to destruction, just as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded. But none of the cities that stood on mounds did Israel burn, except Hazor alone, that Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the people of Israel took for their plunder. But every person they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they did not leave any who breathed. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua took all that land, the hill country and all the Negeb, and all the land of Goshen, and the lowland and the Arabah, and the hill country of Israel and its lowland, from Mount Halak, which rises toward Seir, as far as Baal Gad, in the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon. And he captured all the kings and struck them and put them to death. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle. For it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. Chapter 12 Kings Defeated by Moses Now these are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise from the valley of Arnon to Mount Hermon with all the Arabah eastward. Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon and ruled from Aroer, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and from the middle of the valley as far as the river Jabbok, the boundary of the Ammonites, that is, half of Gilead, and the Arabah to the sea of Kinneroth eastward, and in the direction of Beth-Jeshemoth, to the sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, southward to the foot of the slopes of Pisgah, and Og, king of Bashan, one of the remnant of the Raphaim, who lived at Ashtaroth and at Edrai, and ruled over Mount Hermon, and Salaka and all Bashan to the boundary of the Gesherites and the Maakathites, and over half of Gilead to the boundary of Sihon, king of Heshbon. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the people of Israel defeated them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land for possession to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, kings defeated by Joshua. And these are the kings of the land whom Joshua and the people of Israel defeated on the west side of the Jordan, from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak that rises toward Seir. And Joshua gave their land to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their allotments. 
in the hill country, in the lowland, in the Arabah, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the Negeb, and the land of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Gezar, one. The king of Deber, one. The king of Geder, one. The king of Hormah, one. The king of Arad, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Adullam, one. The king of Makeda, one. The king of Bethel, one. The king of Tapua, one. The king of Hefer, one. The king of Aphek, one. The king of Lasharon, one. The king of Madon, one. The king of Hazor, one. The king of Shimron Meron, one. The king of Akshaf, one. The king of Taanak, one. The king of Megiddo, one. The king of Kadesh, one. The king of Jokneam in Carmel, one. The king of Dor in Naphosdor, one. The king of Goyim in Galilee, one. The king of Terzah, one. In all, thirty-one kings. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament book of Joshua. Let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we've read, point out a few highlights, and maybe make some explanations that might be helpful. Today's reading takes us to the end of Joshua's initial campaign to fulfill the command given by the Lord. The Lord said first to Moses, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. God ordered the destruction of the unrepentant Canaanites because of the corrupting influence of their wicked idolatry and immorality. In Joshua 11.15, just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, So Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. The northern kings and their armies united in a confederated attempt to break the power of Joshua and the Israelites. Once again, Joshua is reminded not to fear. An overwhelming sight, such as an army coming against you as a horde appearing as numerous as the sand on the seashore, could be intimidating. But Joshua is assured that the Lord is sovereign and will deliver the enemy into his hand. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Joshua 11.6 To hawk or hamstring a horse was to cut the sinew muscle in the back legs to make the animal incapable of speed and unfit for military service. There is some debate on the translation of the Hebrew word ikwer, but the majority translate it hamstrung rather than to geld or castrate. Some might ask, is the Lord being cruel to animals? First, we must start with what we know of God's self-revelation in scriptures. He is righteous, just, all-knowing, merciful, and compassionate. He is the creator of all, including animals, and has the right to do what he sees fit with all that he made. We can trust that his knowledge of what is fit exceeds our own. He also knows all the circumstances and the what-if scenarios. We can trust that there was a redemptive purpose in the Lord's command. Earlier, God had given the command through the law of Moses that they were not to breed horses. Deuteronomy 17.16 Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, You shall never again return that way. 
In the days of Solomon, this command was blatantly violated, for he acquired many horses. In 1 Kings 10.26, Now Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, and he stationed them in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. We also find that in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 19. What was the reason for the original prohibition for the people of the covenant as they entered the promised land? Number one, acquiring horses in Canaan would involve interaction with pagan neighbors, with their idolatries and corrupt practices. Their horses were used in pagan pageantry. This was the case when King Josiah reigned in Judah and initiated a purge of idolatry that had corrupted the land through the idolatrous sins of previous kings. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 11, he did away with the horses which the kings of Judah had given to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the official, which was in the precincts, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. Number two, the confidence of the Lord's people needed to be placed in the Lord and not in their own strength or military equipment. Psalm 20, verse 7, Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. After defeating the confederation from the north, Joshua conquers Hazor. He devotes it to destruction as the Lord commanded. Hazor is one of the three cities that are explicitly recorded as being burned in the conquest. Jericho and Ai were the others in Joshua chapter 6, verse 24, and Ai was burnt in Joshua chapter 8, verse 28. Throughout the account, we are continuously reminded that it was the Lord who commanded the conquest and delivered the enemy into Joshua's hand. We also are continually reminded of Joshua's obedience. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility are hand-in-hand themes in the Bible. There are two sides to the divinely designed coin of God's sovereignty, and the coin remains in God's hand throughout. One side of the coin emphasizes God's will of command, his will of desire. The other side emphasizes human responsibility, his will of decree. And there is great blessing when human beings respond to God's command with the obedience of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Notice these references to Joshua's obedience. Joshua 11, verse 9, Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. Joshua 11, verse 12, Joshua captured all the cities of these kings, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. Joshua 11, verse 15, Just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did it. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua 11, verse 20, Just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua 11, 23, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. We have some foreshadowings of the greater Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, in the obedience of this Joshua, who gains victory over the enemies of God in Canaan. In the New Testament, we see the perfect obedience of the greater Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, who fulfills every command through his active obedience and submits to the will of God in his passive obedience. He willingly lays down his life, taking the wrath of God against sin, suffering sin's due punishment in his own body, to make full atonement for our sins. He was obedient unto death. And God rewarded him and his victory on our behalf. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, we read, For this reason also 
God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The battle protocol, or rules of war, given in the law of Moses, was to offer treaties of peace before attacking the cities. In Deuteronomy 20, verse 10, When you approach a city to fight against it, you shall offer it terms of peace. If it agrees to make peace with you and opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall become your forced labor and shall serve you. However, we read in Joshua 11, verse 19, There was not a city which made peace with the sons of Israel except the Hivites living in Gibeon. They took them all in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts to meet Israel in battle in order that he might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them just as the Lord had commanded Moses. We see that both God's sovereignty and human responsibility were involved as God gave opportunities for the people of Canaan to agree with his terms for peace. In Joshua 11:18, Joshua waged war a long time with all these kings. The account of the conquest takes only seven chapters, but it is likely that it took seven years. There would be battles in the future as individual tribes faced enemies when they settled in the land of their inheritance. But the initial conquest is complete. They were now to stand their ground and defend it. Joshua 11.23 So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Thus the land had rest from war. Chapter 12 summarizes the extent of the conquest. First under Moses, Joshua 12, verses 1 through 6, and then under Joshua, in Joshua 12, verses 7 through 24. Thirty-one kings from the west side of Jordan are listed to give us a greater appreciation of the extent of what was accomplished. The destructive part of the divine work is potentially accomplished, and now the constructive work of settling the land begins. We will read about that in the second half of the book of Joshua, beginning tomorrow. Now let's read from the New Testament, Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 37. Jesus cleanses ten lepers. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance, and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. 
For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament, the Gospel according to Luke. Now let's take a few moments to review. Jesus heals ten lepers as he is en route to Jerusalem and on the border between Galilee and Samaria. The lepers cry out, Master, have pity on us. He tells them to go to the priests as commanded in Leviticus chapter 14, and they are cleansed from leprosy as they go. The irony is that only one leper comes back to Jesus after showing himself to the priest, and that leper is a Samaritan, in Luke 17 verse 16 one despised by the Galilean Jews as being religiously inferior, but he is praising God and throws himself at Jesus' feet. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go, your faith has made you well. Luke 17, verses 17-19 All ten lepers were healed, but only one was made well. This was evident in the fact that the cleansed leper came to give glory and worship to God. He fell prostrate before Jesus. May we also demonstrate that He has made us well by giving Him His due worship, thanksgiving, and praise. The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. We read this in Luke 17, verse 20. Jesus reminds us that while we live in anticipation looking for the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth, we should not be gullible over-anxious, or be given to the fantasy that the kingdom is fully realized now. There is a real danger that his people can be misled in this area, adopting a false triumphalism and an over-realized eschatology. There is an aspect of the kingdom rule of God that we can experience as in Christ ones, Christians, filled with the Spirit. But that experience is all in Christ. We see the rule of God perfectly manifested in Him, and we will recognize His kingdom rule in the lives of believers who are manifesting the fruit of Christ's indwelling presence. In Luke chapter 17, verse 21. There is also no manifestation of the kingdom of God on the ground of the old creation in Adam. All is under the ban of the cross. All of it has been rendered condemnable. All must go to the cross. The kingdom will be manifested only on the resurrection ground of a new creation in Christ. Jesus warns of non-stop earthly preoccupations. Those in Noah's day 
carried on with their earthly lives and gave no thought to the gospel that Noah preached. Jesus gives us a fast-forward view to His coming at the end of the age to reign as King. He is coming as Judge. People need to be in a right relationship with God if He is to reign among them. Jesus gives His hearers a view of the great tribulation that is to come in the day of the Lord. What He describes in one sentence is spelled out more fully in the last book of the New Testament, the Apostle John's The Revelation of Jesus Christ. The coming of the Son of Man will not be something done in a corner, but plain for all to see. Jesus speaks of this in His discourse with His disciples on the Mount of Olives before His crucifixion. In Matthew 24, verse 27, For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Luke speaks of this earlier in chapter 17, indicating that on numerous occasions Jesus spoke of His second coming at the end of the age. The gathering of the vultures anticipates the coming judgment of God's wrath upon those who reject His righteous rule. Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Luke 17, verse 37. This image is clarified in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 8, verse 13, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle, the Greek word is atos, translated elsewhere in the New Testament as vulture, flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. In the book of Revelation, we also have this picture accompanying the return of Christ. Revelation 19, verses 17 and 18, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. So now we move on from the New Testament reading to the Bible songbook, the book of Psalms, and today a wonderful psalm, Psalm 84. My soul longs for the courts of the Lord. To the choirmaster, according to the Gittith, and remember that's a musical or liturgical term, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And they go through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs, the early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You. Psalm 84 
is a song of a Levite, a son of Korah, who had the privilege of serving in the courts of the Lord. There is no self-pity. There is no expression of dissatisfaction with their lot, although the Levites received no possession of land in Israel. This psalm radiates the affection that the Levites had for the courts of the Lord and should reflect our affection for the blessing of fellowship with the living God. God is faithful through whom you have been called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalm 84, verse 10 The psalm concludes with an enduring promise. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in You. Psalm 84, verses 11 and 12. And now for today's proverb, a proverb a day to keep foolishness away. Let's take this word to heart. Proverbs 13, verses 5 and 6. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless but sin overthrows the wicked. Once again, we have a choice here. We can walk in a right relationship with God through faith in Christ, trusting Him, leaning on Him, hating falsehood, or we can go our own way to destruction. Let's hate falsehood. Let's keep the example of Christ, the Lord our righteousness, ever before us, to guard our pathway. Let me read that verse again, but this time in the New American Standard Version. A righteous man hates falsehood but a wicked man acts disgustingly and shamefully. Righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless, but wickedness subverts the sinner. And now let's pray. Lord, we thank you for delivering us from darkness to light, from death to life, from the kingdom of self to the kingdom of your Son. We realize that you have called us to battle those forces that war against our soul, Help us to defeat the enemies that would ensnare us. We want our souls to be fully occupied by you, giving no ground to the enemy. Lead us in this battle, Lord God of hosts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today in our Bible reading tour. We welcome your comments and questions as we engage with God's Word together. Let us know how you're getting on by shooting us an email at podcast at newlife.org. Many tell us that they benefit from getting a free daily email with a written copy of our commentary on each day's Bible readings with the provided illustrations, maps, and charts. You can subscribe to this free service at our website, newlife.org. Also, we want to encourage you to find others to join with you in this goal of reading the scriptures through in a year. By subscribing or following this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, you can be notified of each day's posting. You can stay with us or proceed at your own pace, catching up by listening to past episodes. So until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Shalom.